So my name's Colin Salisbury, and uh, I was actually brought up in the Wellington area. I was brought up in uh, brought up in Eastbourne, and uh, a place called Point Howard. Does anyone know Point Howard is? Yeah. And I went to Muratai School. Is there any Muratai School former pupils here today? How about uh, Hutt Valley High? A couple. That's awesome. What I'm going to share this morning is titled My Journey Back to Him. And there's a lot of things that I've done that you can look at and say, that's cool, or that's pretty amazing, or that's good. But I'm here to tell you this morning that our Father, our Father God, is an amazing, amazing person. And what he can do through us is far, far more than we could ever do in our own strength. Let's pray. Father God, I just reach out to my brothers and sisters here this morning. Lord, I reach out to their hearts. Holy Spirit, we invite you. We invite you to just flow in this place, unhindered. We invite you to do your work in our hearts. Lord, we desire to know you. We desire to know our groom. And Lord, we just pray this morning that your words, not my words, will penetrate the hearts. Nothing that is of, not of you will get through. Only you will get through. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I just want to take you back to your high school days. Do you remember sitting in science and the topic was magnets? Do you remember how on a magnet you have a south and a north? Do you remember like when you put two two norths together? What happens? Yeah? What about two souths? And what about a north and a south? Good, you guys are listening. That's pretty much all I learned at school, so What I want to share this morning is going to be a little bit like that. There's, there's, there's a part of us in our flesh that wants to repel. And then, then there's the other part in our hearts that attracts. Truth attracts. And I just uh, want you to be aware that that's going to be going on this morning. The message I'm going to share was born out of tears. It's not a message from the mountaintop. It's a message from the valley. It's a message from a fire. But it's all glory to him. I want you to imagine something this morning. I want you to imagine in your mind that this is the closest you could be to our king. And all his glory and all his majesty and right at the back over there, no offence to the sound guys, but that, that, that's as far as you could be 
from our Lord. So this is as close as you can be, and this is as far as you could be. Now in your minds, I want you to place yourself. Where are you this morning? Are you close? Or are you in the middle? Or are you currently kind of far away? don't have to share that with anyone, just in your mind, put yourself somewhere. You know, what I'm going to be really clear this morning is what I'm talking about is our journey back to him. At at some point in our lives, we, we, we ask him into our heart and we accept it. But ever since we left the garden, we've been journeying back to him. And for us personally, when we, when we, uh, our mother brought us uh, into the world, we've been on a journey back to Him. Now, whether we like it or not, that that that's and it's our choice. All right, we'll go to the next slide. So this is my family. Uh, this is my lovely wife Jo, who's here today, and uh, my girls Emily, who's thirteen, and Kate, who's ten. And uh, they're an absolute uh, joy to me. So we'll go to the next one. All right, this is when you get to make fun of me. This is me at the age of 18 with a mullet. Now, how many people had mullets? Come on, be honest. (laughs) Now, yeah, only Greg. Now, uh, what's interesting is I actually was talking to a friend about that and said, oh, you know, I had the mullet back there. And he said, well, I have to tell you, even back then, it wasn't in. (laughs) But there you go. You want to go to this? Okay, we're good. So here am I, age 18. I had the opportunity to travel to a place called Papua, Papua New Guinea. Now, Papua New Guinea is uh, above Australia. And my uncle worked for a mission, and his uh, role was to put emergency radios into remote villages. And at the age of 18, I had the opportunity to go and spend six weeks with him putting in these radios. And it was an amazing experience. So, And I want you to imagine something. So here I am, age 18, Mount Hagen in the Highlands, and we, we jumped on a little missionary aviation fellowship plane. It's a little plane and there's uh, four of you on it. And, and the pilot takes you right through, uh, over the jungle, uh, through the clouds. And I remember us circling around. He found a gap in the cloud and then dived down. And, and then he landed on this sort of, basically a soccer field cut out in the jungle. But it had this sort of uphill at the end. So the plane came down, landed, and then screamed on the brakes and basically slowed down as it went uphill, just before it hit the trees at the other end, um, which I thought was pretty cool. And we then spent four hours going through the jungle, and um, there were leeches and snakes and lots of cool stuff. And we got down to this lake, and and for me, uh, there was one, uh, one impact on my life that really changed me. We spent the day in this village and uh, for the first time I saw children with uh, bloated bellies. First time I saw children with ginger in their hair because of malnutrition. And it really affected me and I wrote about it at the time in my diary. And I, I, 
and I, and, and I was reading it recently and, you know, I went down to the lake at the end of the day and I was just reflecting on that day and, and spending that time in that village and, um, I was picking up stones and skimming them across the water. How many people like to do that? My record's 18. I don't know if you can beat that. And uh, skimming across the water, and I was thinking, what can one person do? You know, two-thirds of the world live in poverty. What can, how can one person make a difference? And, and I just had this, I remember, and it was just one of those God moments where I just saw these ripples coming out across the pond on the lake. And I thought, well, maybe if we make a few splashes, then things can happen. So, fast forward, 2002. I just come back from uh, Ghana and uh, in West Africa, and and uh, spent sort of a couple of months there in a, rem- a remote village, living in a mud hut, uh, doing my research actually for my masters. But coming back and experiencing, you know, schools that I went to that would have 100 children and one teacher. You know, another school, 150 kids. And there was one school I went to where the teacher would sit the work in one class and go off to the next class and then the next one. And I'm telling you, there wasn't a lot of education going on. And so I thought, well, obviously long term they need to train more teachers, but in the short term we could give some people an opportunity to get their bodies there. And that's what we did. We started, um, my wife and I, we started the Global Volunteer Network. I built our first website, put it up, proudly showed a friend, and he felt so sorry for me. He paid for someone to fix it up, make it better. But uh, it was amazing. And uh, people just started applying. Like I remember the first person ring who called me and wanted to go to Nepal, and I'm like, yeah, great, Nepal. I've never been there, but um, you, you'll love it. It's going to be great. Um, so st- we started, you know, with Ghana, Ecuador, and uh, Nepal, and but it just exploded. And, and over the, particularly the, the first seven years, you know, we were placing thousands of people each year. Um, we we're adding new countries. We sort of we've gone from zero to 22 countries. We've got 28 projects that we're working in, and it was quite incredible. We'll go to the next slide. And there's so many stories of, of, of people who have, who have been to countries and got their bodies there and had an opportunity to serve, which has been, been truly amazing. And uh, there's been some pretty incredible things happening. With the next slide, we, we, this is just one trip I organised. I took um, 40 people to Everest Base Camp. If you ever want to think about doing that, don't. <laughs> it's an absolute nightmare. But we raised uh, 80,000 US dollars and we built an orphanage for, uh, for, for children with disabilities in Kathmandu. And it was amazing. And we, and, you know, we were been able to raise a lot of money and help a lot of places and build schools and build orphanages and, and uh, feeding programs and all sorts of stuff, which is pretty cool. I also got to meet some interesting people. I don't know if you recognise the guy in the... Uh, President Bill Clinton. I mean, it was really weird. When I got to meet him, what do you say, Mr. President? Uh, he actually remembered coming here. He remembered playing golf. So we, we had a kind of chat about that. Uh, the, the lady uh, is uh, Janet Nalapatino, I think it is. She is uh, currently United States Secretary of Homeland Security. So she's in the Obama cabinet. 
Um, we also had endorsements from some pretty interesting people. If you recognise this guy, Bill Gates came out and said, "I'd love to see more peop- young people taking action to help the poor and disadvantaged." Two places to get going: uh, Network for Good, which is a kind of a, a portal for volunteering, and he named us the Global Volunteer Network. When that came through on the feed, um, I was just like, "Wow, <laughs> it's pretty cool." Um, so we've also had lots of endorsements from CNN and other places. I uh, also was invited to go to Geneva and uh, also been to uh, New York. Actually, this photo, um, uh, this is where the ambassador, New Zealand ambassador sits. So don't tell them. But <laughs> when they cleared the room, I sneaked back in and got a photo. So don't tell them I've actually had his earpiece on my ear. But I thought I had to get the photo. Then something happened. Do you remember? The global financial crisis. Now, it didn't hit New Zealand as much as it hit other places. Uh, Places where we source a lot of volunteers from, the US, Canada, the UK. Um, It was really, really hard. I remember driving through a part of Canada um, and just seeing probably two-thirds of the shops shops all boarded up. Um, it, was, it was an incredible time. And it really started to affect us. By 2010, um, we started going like this in terms of sign-ups, in terms of income. And I don't know if you've been in business and, and this is what's happening to your income and your uh, uh, costs are here. Th- this bit in the middle gets pretty scary. And... Uh, and here's me, and I'm thinking, I'm the marketing guy, so I spent 60 days straight trying to turn GVN around. And I was trying everything I could think of, you know, all the little marketing ideas and this and that and that. Nothing was working. And um, it was pretty scary because I was facing the potential of losing everything. And uh, I don't know, for, for a guy to have to go home and face your family with that in your mind is really, really hard. And uh, I remember getting to the point where I'm like, you know what, God, you can have it. I don't want it anymore. It's yours. And I'm sure at that point, Jesus is like, finally. I can do something. I'll go to the next slide. Do I really love God? What I really want to share with you this morning, the real story is God's greatness and my weakness. Now, some of you will know um, a gentleman by the name of uh, Curtis Reed. Now, I I love making fun of this gentleman because uh, he's still a friend of mine. He's Canadian and he tends to talk a lot. I don't know if you know him. I call him the ranter. And... uh, if he was introduced to me um, during this time, pretty much just after I've kind of yelled at God, and uh, he turns up and says, uh, and, and he was introduced to me through a friend, and I thought, oh, cool, I'll be able to kind of get him involved in one of our projects or maybe get him to write us a check or something. And uh, so I'm sort of, you know, telling him about what we're doing and all that sort of thing. And he said, can we have coffee? And I said, sure, yeah, okay. So we go to this little cafe. And then... Basically, Curtis launches into what I just call a 15-minute rant. And he was kind of loud, 
I don't know if you've been in a situation and someone's loud and they're saying stuff and it's kind of embarrassing. And um, But I listened to him and he was talking about the greatest commandment. And, and I'll read it for you. I'll just go to that slide. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, them, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And Curtis was talking about the fact that a lot of us, in a lot of places, this has been lost. And in fact, for a lot of us, we try and love God with our strength first. But it doesn't say that. It says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and then your soul, with your mind and your strength. Now, when I first heard that, we'll go to the slide. This is what I thought. Please don't tell Terry, I promise I'll delete it. But it's a bit like that. How do I love God with all my heart? But what happened for me is this question after I left, and it just went round and round in my mind, probably for four weeks, was do I love God with all my heart? And it just went round and round, and I just thought about it and thought about it. And I finally, after trying to justify and say, come on, God, I've done all this cool stuff, come on, come on, I finally got to the point where I had to fall down on my knees and say no. No, Lord, I haven't loved you with all my heart. And Father, I repent and I seek your face. Now, during this time, in earnestly seeking God's face, the Holy Spirit revealed revelation through the Bible that has just blown my mind. And this morning I wanted to share some of these truths with you. Do you love me with all your heart? Now as you sit there, you may have already proposed that same question in your mind as I did. And then you may have also dismissed it just as quickly as I had. The problem is that this is not a question you can answer with your mind. With your mind, you would have considered your current position and drawn the conclusion that I try to with the best of my abilities. You try with the best of your abilities? You obviously did not hear the question. Do you love God with all your heart. Now to give this question the time it truly deserves, you will need to let it sit with you. Maybe for hours. Probably days. 
most likely weeks. There is a reason that Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Now when this was dismissed as a question earlier, and you said I tried to with the best of my abilities, you not only used the wrong part of your body, your mind, not your heart, but you also began with the wrong person. You see, when I finally answered the question with my heart, the answer came from God, not me. You see, the only person, the only the person who desires my love can truly answer that question. Now for me, when I saw the answer in the face of my king, I fell on my face and I wailed. The answer was written on his face and he didn't even need to say a thing. There is no way we can love God with all our hearts if it begins in our own strength. He has to create space in our hearts to begin his work in us. And to do this, in most cases, he needs to cut. He needs to cut because we have allowed our hearts to become hard. The Holy Spirit is very, very good at his job. But he cannot act until we ask him. We go to the next slide. Cool. For me, as I learn to try and, and I strive to love him with my heart, I'm telling you, the word became alive. And for me now, the Bible, it's a love story. It's a divine romance. It's a story of betrothal, which is engagement, that was sealed in blood on a wooden cross 2,000 years ago. And as I really looked into the scripture, I found there's 875 scriptures that talk about the heart. Now, that many, there's obviously something important about this. And it also talked about the heart being a stream of living water. We read in John 4.14, But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of living water, welling up to eternal life. In John 7.38, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Friends, the wellspring flows out of the greatest commandment. When we learn to love him with all our hearts, then as we focus on him, then the wellspring just bubbles up and overflows. And I'm, I'm telling you that the last 18 months for me has been absolutely incredible, just seeing God touch people through that. You know, I um, uh, had, a, had a heart retreat that I organised sort of about, about 12 months ago. And you guys will know Johnny and Bex, who was the youth people here. Yay. <laughs> and uh, they came. And uh, we had an amazing weekend. And uh, one of the ladies who was there, she had a picture for me. And she said, um, I, this picture might sound strange, and it might uh, I don't know if it makes sense, but I see you, and you, you've got a spade in your hand, and you're digging frantically. And there's dirt flying everywhere. And you're digging and digging and digging and digging. 
Fitchy said, as I looked at the picture, just over here is a really big hole. And it's already dug. And, and, she, and she said, I think God wants you to go and stand in it. And, I'm, and she goes, does that make sense? And I'm like, ugh. The true state of our hearts. You know, what's interesting is um, those, the, the people I've been reading about now and, the, and the, you know, the men and women of faith, there's something interesting they talk about in terms of knowing the state of their heart. You know, we read in 1 Timothy 1.15, Here is a trustworthy say, saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am worst. You know, um, in the NIV notes it says, the closer one gets to a holy God, the more the magnitude of one's sin becomes evident. And just thinking back to that continuum, you know, the closer we push into God, the more we have to give up, the more he peels away, and and the more our hearts are revealed. You know, and, and Moses talk, saw this where when God started sharing the commandments and the people were like, whoa, 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 whoa. He's like, um, Moses, you do it. Get, go get it from God and then tell it because this is, this is uh, pretty intense. And of course, we all, we all know what they then went and did. They created something that was a little bit easier to call God. But in my reading of, of, uh, of understanding sin, You know, it means to miss the mark. And the mark is him. So we can miss it in many ways. But it's not about focusing on the sin. It's focusing on him. And I've found that as I've moved towards him and learned to love him with my heart, all that stuff that I used to deal with or were problems for me, I don't even think about it anymore. Just get stripped away. We see this beautiful picture now here's the prophet Isaiah. Now in chapter 5, he was into his ministry. He's running around going, woe is you. And, and woe is you. And because you've done this, and woe is you. And woe is you. But then something happened in chapter 6. And I'll just read it to you. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were a seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered the faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe is me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. We see in Isaiah what I'm talking about. He saw his true self in the reflection of the king. And he went on to say, you know what, Lord? I just do your will. The 
It starts with repentance. You know, repentance is not something we like to talk about very much. And uh, um, for me, when I when I was on started this heart journey, and I, I really went through this time of godly sorrow and repentance. And I actually went to Amazon and typed in look for books on repentance. And I'm telling you, there's actually not that many. And uh, three came up, so I thought, okay, I'll have those, and they came. And uh, um, I really started reading through them, and they were they were an amazing uh, testimony for me. But there's one book that really, really started talking to me. We'll just go to the next slide. And it talked about godly sorrow. You know, we must first acknowledge that he has disappeared. We must have first acknowledge that we have disobeyed God's law. By our actions, we have sinned against and wounded God. All sins, even sins against other people, are acts of wrong towards God. True repentance demands that we recognize this. David is an excellent example of this. When the prophet Nathan confronted him, concerning his sinful relationship with Bathsheba, what did he say? David said, so, so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David accepted accountability for this matter. Just if you have a chance uh, later on, Psalm 51 is just a beautiful psalm of repentance. And it's David's heart cry. I encourage you to read it. It's beautiful. Peter is another example of this type of repentance. When he realized that he had betrayed the Lord, just as he told him he would, Peter went out and wept bitterly. This is the uh, verse that has spoken to me. It's in Second Chronicles 7.14. It says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. You know, back when uh, things were going well, pride set in in me. I started to think, you know, I'm, I've kind of got it together. And in fact, I was involved in a number of different ventures, and uh, you know, things were just. It seemed like everything I touched turned to gold. And you start believing that that stuff. And and I'm ashamed. I even got some books uh, that I just wanted to read: "The Power of Flow," "Practical Ways to Transform Your Life," "Becoming a Millionaire God's Way," "Getting Money to You, Not From You." Think like a billionaire? Become a billionaire as a man thinks so he is? And this one is a doozy. How to make one hell of a profit and still get to heaven. (laughs) It's shameful really. 
when I was reading this book on repentance, one of the things that was really, really fascinating to me is actually the Greek word for repentance. It's metanoia. And basically it means a radically transformed mindset or worldview. The problem is, when you look up repentance in English, it says something like to feel sorry, self-reproachful, contriteful past, regret, to feel such sorry for sin or fault that is disposed to change one's life for the better, be, be penitent. Now this is interesting. Metanoia in the, in the biblical Greek dictionary means a complete change of attitude, spiritual and moral, towards God. A change of mind. A change of one's way of life as a result of a complete change of thought and attitude towards sin and righteousness. To change one's mind or purpose. This comes clear when you look at Jesus' words. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, what happened is that when the Bible was translated into Latin, the word for metanoia was, uh, the the Latin word was meant to do penance. We all know what happened with the Catholic Church and how you had to go, forgive me, Father, I've sinned, and and, um, the Hail Marys and all that stuff. But then when it was uh, translated into English in the Bible, they chose the word repentance. So unfortunately that word repentance doesn't really grasp the true meaning of metanoia. It's not a one-time deal, friends. Repentance is our journey back to him. Repentance isn't something we do so that we can turn to God. Rather, repentance is our return to God. Metanoia happens internally in our hearts and minds. Its accompanying fruit happens externally in our behaviour as we learn to love God with all our heart. I just wanted to share this. It's really interesting. You'll know the parable of the wheat and the tears. Or the wheat and the weeds. And you'll remember that the good seed was sowed and the wheat came up. And then the devil sowed the... The bad seed and, it, and, the, and the weeds came up. And then you remember that the servants wanted to clear away the, 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 the bad, the tears. And, um, and they said, no, 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 wait till the end. And, and I'd never really truly understood why that was. Uh, but last year I had the opportunity to go to um, Israel and actually in Israel, there's a weed that they were talking about. It's called the darnel. And it grows up among wheat. It's still a problem today. And it's, what's interesting is it's not until it matures that the fruit appears and you can tell them apart. Darnel stands proud and tall as its fruit appears. But do you know what happens to the wheat? It bends over under the weight of his fruit. It's a beautiful picture of a repentant heart. One that has allowed his fruit to produce rather than one that's read these books and is standing really tall. Look at me. 
No. You know, over the last last sort of 18 months, it's really interesting. You know how you're, you're, supposed, you're supposed to be in order of things? And it's supposed to be in, in, uh, God first, then your wife or your husband, and then, if you have those, uh, and then your family, and then work. Do you remember that? That's kind of, there's an order of things. And um, uh, I remember, it was like three years ago, we were sitting around the table at home. And I don't know how we got onto that topic, but we started talking about it, and I was like, uh, to my oldest daughter, who's number one in mum's life? And uh, she said, it's funny how kids are really wise. She said, God. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. Uh, who's number one in my life? And she said, without work. And I was like, whoa. And uh, we actually we actually did it um, about six or nine months ago, and uh, and it was cool because uh, I said to you know Emily, who's number one in my life, and immediately she said God, and my youngest she yelled out, and Mum's number two. And, and I'm telling you, when you focus on loving Him, all that stuff just comes into line. Now I don't get it right all the time, but it, it's been incredible over the last things. How He's given me such a love for Joe that I never had. And and it was not because I was seeking that. I was seeking him. And I'm going to tell you something that might sound strange. But I believe I've been more effective for God in the last 18 months than I have in the past 20 years. Now I can tell you a really good story about 20 years. And I've achieved a lot of stuff. But the men and women who he's brought into my life who I've been able to share this testimony with and just see God's transforming heart, uh, love in their hearts. I started a home group. It's now got 19 men who turn up on a Tuesday night. And their lives are just completely on a different track. I've just had the opportunity to share my testimonies in a number of places. I even shared it in, in Uganda last year. And uh, Greeks probably experience this, but when you, you give the altar call and 200 people come forward, I still remember thinking, now what? <laughs> but you pray, right? Um, so it's incredible, but there is something that has been lost in this loving God with all our heart. And I'm here today to try and put it back. We need to love him. And as I've taken on um, this and I've really learned to take on God's heart. There's things that I've learned that He loves. I had no idea He loved them, but I love them now. And there's other things that He really does not like. It hurts Him a lot, and I feel that now. We're just going to watch a quick video. It's by a, the late David Wilkinson, and he speaks about this very issue. I want you to watch it and then I'll just come back up and wrap up. And I look at the whole religious scene today and all I see are the inventions and ministries of man and flesh. It's mostly powerless. It has no impact on the world. 
And I see more of the world coming into the church and impacting the church rather than the church impacting the world. I see the music taking over the house of God. I see entertainment taking over the house of God. An obsession with entertainment in God's house, a hatred of correction and a hatred of reproof. Nobody wants to hear it anymore. Whatever happened to anguish in the house of God? Whatever happened to anguish in the ministry? It's a word you don't hear in this pampered age. You don't hear it. Anguish means extreme pain and distress. The emotion so stirred that it becomes painful. Acute, deeply felt inner pain because of conditions about you, in you or around you. Anguish, deep pain, deep sorrow, agony of God's heart. We've held on to our religious rhetoric in our revival talk, but we've become so passive. All true passion is born out of anguish. All true passion for Christ comes out of a baptism of anguish. You search the scripture and you'll find that when God determined to recover a ruined situation, He would share His own anguish for what God saw happening to His church and to His people and he would find a praying man and he would take that man and literally baptize him in anguish. You find it in the book of Nehemiah. Jerusalem is in ruins. How is God going to deal with this? How is God going to restore the ruin? Now folks, look at me. Nehemiah was not a preacher. He was a career man. But this was a praying man. And God found a man who would not just have a flash of emotion, not just some great sudden burst of concern and then let it die. He said, no, I broke down and I wept and I mourned and I fasted. And then I began to pray night and day. Why didn't these other men, why didn't they have an answer? Why didn't God use them in restoration? Why didn't they have a word? Because there was no sign of anguish. No weeping. Not a word of prayer. It's all ruin. Does it matter to you today? Does it matter to you at all? That God's spiritual Jerusalem, the church, is now married to the world? That there's such a coldness sweeping the land? Closer than that, does it matter about the Jerusalem that's in our own hearts? The sign of ruin that's slowly draining spiritual power and passion, blind to lukewarmness, blind to the mixture that's creeping in. That's all the devil wants to do is get the fight out of you and kill it. So you won't labor in prayer anymore. You won't weep before God anymore. You can sit and watch television and your family go to hell. Let me ask you, has what I just said convicted you at all? There's a great difference between anguish and concern. Concern is something that you, the biggest interest you. You take an interest in a project or a cause or a concern or a need. 
And I would tell you something I've learned over all my years, 50 years of preaching. If it is not born in anguish, if it has not been born by the Holy Spirit, where when you saw and heard of the ruin, and it drove you to your knees, took you down into a baptism of anguish where you began to pray and seek God. I know now. Oh my God, do I know it. Until I'm in agony. Until I have been anguished over it. And all our projects, all our ministries, everything we do, where are the Sunday school teachers that weep over kids they know are not hearing and they're going to hell? You see, a true prayer life begins at the place of anguish. You see, if you, you set your heart to pray, God's going to come and start sharing your heart, His heart with you. Your heart begins to cry out, Oh God, your name is being blasphemed. The Holy Spirit's being mocked. The enemy is out trying to destroy the testimony of the Lord's faithfulness and something has to be done. There's going to be no renewal, no revival, no awakening until we're willing to let him once again break us. Folks, it's getting late and it's getting serious. Please don't tell me. Don't tell me you're concerned when you're spending hours in front of internet or television. Come on. Lord, there's some need to get this altar and confess. I am not what I was. I am not where I'm supposed to be. God, I don't have your heart or your burden. I've been I wanted it easy. Didn't want to be happy. But Lord, true joy comes. True joy comes out of anguish. There's nothing of the flesh will give you joy. I don't care how much money, I don't care what kind of new house there is. Absolutely nothing physical can give you joy. It's only what is accomplished by the Holy Spirit when you obey Him and take on His heart. Build the walls around your family. Build the walls around your own heart. Make you strong and impregnable against the enemy. God, that's what we desire. Agony of God's heart. I know that the Spirit's already doing His work here this morning. I know He's touching the hearts. I know there's many of you who are not happy with where you placed yourself. Some of you might have already moved yourself after after thinking it through. But this morning, I want to invite you to do something. I want to give you the opportunity to say to Lord, to the Lord, Lord, this is me, this is it. But if you want me, I'm willing to give myself. I'm willing to turn those magnets around and attract everything that you have for me. And for me, it's been a life of dependency on Him. In the last 18 months, it's just about doing, only trying to move when He says move. And out of that overflow. And I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come back up. And, you know, for me, when, when, when you've got this thing going on in your heart and you're going, Lord, Lord, I know things aren't quite right. I know if I ask my kids around the dinner table, in fact, I may not want to. <laughs> I'm not sure what they'd say. 
or I'm not sure where I actually am standing here this morning. I don't know where I am. Well, I want to invite you. If you if that's you, then I want you to come forward. I just want you to just kneel at the at the altar and spend some time with the Lord. If this is you and God is speaking to you, then come forward. Come forward as the, as the guys are singing. There's people here will pray for you. But I just really, friends, let's just get our hearts right this morning. Let's just focus on our King. And as, this, as the team sings, if this is you, just come forward. And we'll just pray for you. Don't be, don't, don't be put off by what people might think. It doesn't matter because it's about you and your King. Let's pray. Father God, I just ask now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to do your work in the hearts here this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you to penetrate the hearts to the core. We let you in, Lord. And we let you invite you to do your renewal, your regeneration in us. And Lord, as we look to you, we just pray that you'll just strip away anything that is not of you. Lord, that we can be fully you. And Lord, that you must increase, so we must decrease. And Lord, bring us closer to you. We choose to give up self. We choose to deny it. We love you. We give ourselves over to you. And we pray this this morning. Holy Spirit, draw us to you. Bring renewal. Bring life back into us. And we pray for this now in your name.